Amen. All right, well, we're there in James chapter number 4. And of course, this morning, as we've announced, we are continuing through a sermon series entitled Anger Management. And we started this series last week, and we are learning over the next four weeks uh, uh, about this idea of controlling our anger. The Bible teaches a lot about anger and managing our anger. It's a very applicable uh, sermon series because all of us can have a tendency to allow our anger to get out of control. And if you remember last week, I preached a sermon called The Theology of Anger. We went through and looked at a biblical overview of what the Bible teaches about anger, and we saw that last week and kind of laid the foundation. If you weren't here for that sermon, I would encourage you to check it out on our YouTube channel or our website. It's there for you. This morning, we are going to be looking at the idea of why we get so angry, and uh, I would encourage you to be with us next week and the week after that. Next week, we're going to talk about how to control our own anger. And the week after that, we'll talk about how to deal with the anger of others. We're in James chapter 4 this morning. And in the book of James, James, who is the half-brother of Christ, asks a very pointed and crucial relational question. And what I want to do is I want to walk you through this passage and give you several statements. In fact, I want to give you four statements this morning, and I would encourage you to write these down on the back of the course of the week. There's a place for you to take down some notes. And let me go ahead and just uh, give you a little bit of a disclaimer or a heads up. I realize that what I'm about to teach this morning, and it's not the first time I've taught it, is something that we generally, as human beings, uh, want to push back on a little bit. We want to push back, and we want to say, no, it's not that, and no, it's not that simple. Uh, And what I would ask is that you just listen uh, to the sermon, walk through the passage with us as we uh, develop it. And the truth is this, if you embrace uh, what I'm about to teach you this morning, it will help you to get control over your anger. It'll help you to get control over the conflict that your anger produces in uh, your life. And so I don't want you to just think, oh, well, no, it's not that simple. Uh, it's interesting how most of the biggest problems we have in life are really solved by very simple ideas. It's simple to hear them and understand them. It's a little more difficult to apply them, and we understand that. Before we get into James' big, crucial, pointed, relational question, I want to I want you to flip back to James chapter 3, if you would, and I want to build up a little bit of the context that leads to that question. Uh, Because, as you know, when the Bible was written, it was not written in uh, divisions of books or chapters or verse numbers. And we're definitely thankful that the chapters and the verse numbers are there. It allows us to be able to reference places in Scripture much easier. Uh, uh, more quickly. However, when James wrote the book, the letter of James, which we now refer to as the book of James, it's not like he was writing and he said, all right, chapter four, you know, and okay, now we're in chapter five. He was writing a letter. And what I want you to understand is that the, the, the verses at the end of chapter three are the context of the question we're going to look at in chapter number four. So let's walk through this a little bit and build up the context there a little bit. If you look at verse number 13, he asks this question. Now, this is not the question, the main question for this morning, but this is definitely a question worth looking at. He says, who is wise? He says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? 
Now, I think that if we were to take a group of people and ask the question, maybe most of us would want to say, well, I am. And uh, James asked this question, and when he's done kind of uh, going through this idea, and when he's done unraveling this idea, you may not want to be the wise man endued with knowledge. But he says, who is a, he says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Then he says this, after we initially say, well, I am, I think I'm wise, or I think I'm endued with knowledge, he says, okay, well, let him show out of a good conversation his works, notice these two words, with meekness of wisdom. And what James says here in verse 13, he says that people who are wise, people who are endued with knowledge, he says, People who are wise are also meek. He says, in fact, if you would answer yes to the question, who is a wise man and dude with knowledge among you? He says, the way you prove that question is not by saying you're wise and endued with knowledge. And it's not even by giving us your knowledge. He says, the way that you know if you're wise is if you can apply knowledge. Because wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are two different things. Knowledge is knowing Uh, concepts and ideas. Wisdom is your ability to apply that knowledge into your life. And here, James says, he says, who is a wise man and dude with knowledge among you? He says, well, here's how you prove you're wise. Let him show. He says, not what you know, it's what you show. It's not what you know, it's what you do. He says, let him show out of a good conversation his works. How are you going to show that you're wise? He says, with meekness of wisdom. The word meek or meekness is defined, and we'll see it here in the passage, but it means to be quiet, gentle, humble, especially in our relationships and provocation of others. And here's what James says. James says, people who are wise are meek. People who are wise are quiet, they're gentle, they're humble, they're not loud, they're not obnoxious. He says, he says because there is, no, there is no wisdom in running your mouth, there is no wisdom in losing control of your tongue. There is no wisdom. So James says, look, if anybody is wise or endued with knowledge, here's how we'll know they are wise when they can show out of the good conversation of his works the meekness of wisdom. And I want you to notice that phrase, the meekness of wisdom, because wisdom always comes with meekness. So here's a question for you, and I don't want you to answer it out loud. This is just the introduction. We haven't even got into the sermon yet. Does the word meek describe you? If, if, if we were to describe you, would we be able to use the word meek? That person is quiet. It doesn't mean that you don't like conversation, enjoy conversation. It means that you don't get loud. Could we say they're quiet, they're gentle, they're humble? By the way, if you're a Christian this morning, our job is supposed to be to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he was meek. So James begins by saying people who are wise are meek. Then he gives us the contrast in verse 14. He says, but, he says, but, 
Just in case you thought you were wise, but then you realize that wisdom comes with meekness, and maybe meekness is not really a word that describes you. He says, but if ye have bitter envying, what's envy? Envy is wanting or desiring something you don't have. He says, but if ye have bitter envying, no, it's not just envying, it's bitter, you're bitter about it. Bitter envying and strife. What's strife? Strife's conflict. That's fighting. He says, but if ye have bitter envying and strife, notice these words, in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. Now, it's interesting to me, and James, James is one of these books that, you know, it's written by James, of course, the half-brother of Christ, but it's one of these books that when you really begin to dig into it, you have to realize that it's written by none other than God Almighty God. Because here we have a man who wrote a book, maybe a letter, maybe 2,000 years ago, and yet he gives such insight into the understanding of human nature. Because he says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Now the word glory means to boast or brag. And he says, don't boast or brag about it. And you and I would think to ourselves, you and I would think, well, why would somebody be boasting or bragging about the fact that they have envying and strife in their hearts. That is, of course, until you meet some people. Some people who actually take pride in. Some people who actually boast about and brag about and glory about. Not, not that they're boasting and saying, well, I'm just full of envy and strife in my heart. They don't say that, but here's what they do say. They say, well, that's just the way I am. I just, I just tell the truth. I just, you know, I just, I just have to put it out there like it is. No, no, no. Why don't you tell the truth? Because notice he says, he says, glory not. And then he says this. He says, and lie not against the truth. Because the truth is this. It's not just that you just tell the truth and you just say it as it is. Here's the truth. You're a jerk. It's not. You say, well, no, I just tell the truth. Really? Because the Bible says that we can tell the truth in love. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ told the truth. The Bible says that he was truth and yet was meek. So you being loud, you being obnoxious, you being crude, you being hurtful has nothing to do with you being someone who tells the truth or tells it as it is. It has everything to do with your anger. She says, who is wise? Who is a wise man and dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his work with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not. Don't boast and brag about, well, I'm just, that's the way I am. I just like to tell the truth. I just say it out as it is. He says, and lie not against the truth. Quit lying to yourself. He says, this wisdom, this wisdom that you supposedly say you have, descended not from above. But it's earthly, sensual, devilish. He says, for where envying, again, what's envy? Wanting, desiring something that doesn't belong to you. For where envying and strife, again, what's strife? Conflict and fighting. For where envying and strife is, there is, notice these words, there is confusion and every evil work. He says, people who have envy and strife in their hearts, can justify anything. And their relationships, I mean, really ask yourself, is this the life verse of your marriage? Could these words describe your marriage? 
or your relationship with your parents, or your relationship with your children, or your relationship with your boss, or your relationship with your co-workers, or your relationship with your pastor, or your relationship with your pastor's wife, or your relationship with your fellow church members, or your relationship with your in-laws, or your relationship with your neighbors, or your relationship with pretty much anyone you've ever had a relationship with. Could it be described this way? There is confusion and every evil work. Because that's the opposite of meekness. That's the exact opposite thing of being Meek. Then James says this. He says, see, here's the truth. People who are meek are wise, and people who are wise live in peace. You say, well, I want to live in peace. You know, it's not my fault that I don't have peace. Well, here's what James says. James says, people who are wise and meek, they live in peace because they make peace. But notice what he says, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, because he said, the wisdom that you think you have from this world, it doesn't not from above. But he says, but the wisdom that is from above, he says, is first pure, then peaceable. Look, we're not talking about losing our purity. I'm not saying lie to your spouse in order to keep the truth. No, we must tell the truth. We must live in purity. But it's first pure, then peaceable. You know that you can confront? You know that you can confront someone without being confrontational? You know that you can contend for the truth? without being contentious? He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Then Notice he says, gentle and easy to be entreated. What does that mean, entreated? It means to accept. He says, the wisdom that is from above, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to accept. See, some of you, some of you say, I don't understand why my wife, you know, I keep telling her and she just won't, under, you know, listen, she won't hear me out, she won't accept what I'm saying. I don't understand why my husband, I keep trying to tell him, you know, this and this and he just won't hear me out. I don't understand why my teenager cannot understand. Maybe it's not what you're saying, but how you're saying it. Because wisdom that is from above, hey, it's pure, it's true. Yes, it's true, but it's also peaceable. It's also gentle. It's also easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And by the way, you know what he just described there in verse 17? Meekness. You say, what's meekness? To be pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, full of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Isn't that how you would describe the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. It's sown in peace. You say, I would like to have peace. It's not my fault we don't have peace. Notice, it's sown in peace of them that make peace. You say, what do wise people do? They live in meekness. What do meek people do? They make peace. Now, that's the context leading us into the passage of Scripture that I'd like to preach to you out of. Some of you are like, wait, what? Yeah, that was just the introduction. If that didn't go over well, you might want to buckle up. James chapter 4, verse 1. 
That's the context that leads us into this question, this question that James asked, this question that is so indicative of human beings. I mean, it's a very crucial, very relational, very just beyond the wisdom of any man. It had to have came from God. He leads us by explaining that wise people live in meekness and that meekness uh, produces peace and that when we don't have those things, in fact, when we have envying and strife in our hearts, then we will produce all these things that are the opposite of meekness. And all of that leads us to this question. And it's a question that I'd like you to consider this morning and I'd like to wrestle it down with you this morning if we can. In James chapter 4 and verse 1, he says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? And look, if we were to ask that question today, we're not going to. If we were to divide into small groups and sit around a round table, if we brought couples together and families together and friends together and we asked them, from whence come wars and fightings among you? You know what would happen? If we ask people, if we ask people, From where comes conflict and arguing and fighting? If we ask that question, the question and the answer to the question would lead to conflict and arguing and fighting. In fact, the reason why we're not going to divide into small groups and have you ask this question is because the discussion itself would lead into an argument. Because the truth of the matter is this, and you know it to be true, when we ask the question, from whence? See, the word whence means from what place, from what source, from where, is a modern way we would say. James is saying, from where come wars and fightings among you? And if you and I just didn't care what people thought and didn't care about, you know, letting people know how we really think, and if we were just being real honest... Because that's just how I am. I just tell it how it is. We wouldn't say, no, James, you're wrong. It's not a where, it's a who. It's not from where come wars and fightings among, uh, amongst us. It's from who come wars and fightings among us. Because all the conflict in my home comes from him. Comes from her. Comes from them. See, all the conflict... In my life comes from my husband, comes from my wife, comes from my children, comes from my employer, comes from my pastor. See, we have this idea. We think that the source of conflict comes from somewhere out there. It's not my fault. I want to live in peace. I'm just telling the truth. I'm just telling it how it is. It's them. It's her. It's the in-laws. It's the neighbors. It's anybody, anywhere but me. See, we think, James asked this question, because he says, from whence come wars and findings among you? And we say, no, James, it's not where, it's who. And I already know who. It's everyone who upsets me. And we think the source of conflict comes from out there. And James says, no, 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 see... That's where you've got it wrong, because he says the source of conflict, James says, the source of conflict does not come from out there, it comes from in here. Notice verse 1 again. From whence come wars and fightings among you? He, he asked the question, you answered it, 
for my husband, for my wife, for my teenager, for my neighbor, for my boss. And then, and then James answers, gives you the, the biblical answer. He says, come they not hence, the word hence means from which place. He says, come they not hence, even of your lust. And then he says this, that war in your members. See, James says the conflict comes from you. If you're taking notes, and I'd encourage you to maybe write these statements down. Here's statement number one. We get angry and fight because the source of our anger, the source of our anger, which is among you, comes from inside you. I often tell people this when I'm counseling with them and trying to help them. I say, where's all this drama coming from? Where are all these issues coming from? I mean, it's not like you're dealing in your marriage with an invading force. It's not like the axis of evil has decided to land on your beaches and try to, you know, take over. I mean, it's not like you've got some other family trying to come in and, and take over your land. He says, the war that you fight in your family is just coming from you. It's just your own drama, your own issues, your own conflict, your own inability to make peace. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence, even of your loss? He says, That war in your members. Now, I'd like you to keep your place right here in the book of James. This is our text for this morning. And go with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 4. In the Old Testament, the very first book of the Bible is the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 4. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to dissect the passage in James, but use a story in Genesis to kind of highlight the idea. And the idea, the story we're going to look at is actually the first time in the entire Bible that we see somebody get angry. It's the very famous story of Cain and Abel. You know it. It's the first time in Scripture we see somebody lose control of their temper. James chapter 4, if you would, excuse me, Genesis chapter 4, keep your place in James 4, Genesis chapter 4, and look at verse 3. The Bible says this, And in the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought forth of the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flocks. Of course, we know that Cain and Abel were two twins born to Adam and Eve. Apparently, somebody had told them, that they needed to bring a sacrifice to God. Either God himself said it to them, or Adam and Eve explained that to them, but they were under the understanding, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but the fact that they both brought a sacrifice leads us to believe that somebody had explained to them, you must bring a sacrifice to God. We actually talked about this last week in our Declaring Doctrine series, how as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, the first sacrifice had to be made, the first animal, the blood of that animal had to be shed, that Adam and Eve might be clothed with the coat of that animal. And here we see their children bringing a sacrifice as well. And in verse 3 it says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. Notice, he brings fruit grown from the ground. Vegetables, fruits, whatever it is. An offering unto the Lord. Not a sacrifice that required death. Not a sacrifice that would shed blood. Verse 4, And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. He brought an animal sacrifice. 
a blood sacrifice. And there's so much in the story we could go into in regards to lessons on salvation and all that. And I'm not going to deal with that this morning. I'm just looking at this idea of contention. And the Lord, notice, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. What does that mean? It means that God saw the offering of Abel and he liked it. He accepted it. He respected it. Of course, Abel brought a sacrifice of an animal God himself sacrificed an animal earlier in the book with Adam and Eve. We saw that last week. Look at verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. God did not accept it. God did not want it. God said, that's not, what, well, that's not the sacrifice that I need. And, by, and again, I don't want to preach on it, but here we have a great example of salvation in the sense that you can bring the fruit of your works, you can bring your labor, because obviously Cain had labored in a field, planted and, and, and produced fruit, and he brought that to God, but God said, no, that's not good enough. I need the sacrifice of a lamb. Salvation is not you bringing your good works to God. Salvation is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but unto the Cain of his offering he had not respect. Notice, and Cain was very wroth. First time in the Bible we see somebody get angry. And his countenance fell. I love that. Because oftentimes you can tell people's attitude by their demeanors. I want to ask you this question about Cain and Abel. If we were to ask Cain, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Cain, what is the source of your anger? I mean, let's ask it. Was it God? Was God wrong in not accepting the works of the field and requiring a sacrificed lamb? And the answer is no, God is never wrong. Was it Abel? Was Abel wrong to bring the sacrifice that God accept, accepted and wanted? Even though Cain brought the wrong sacrifice? Was that Abel's fault? No. Whose fault was it? Why is Cain so angry? And the reason that Cain is so angry is because of himself. His anger and his wrath comes a result of him. Keep your place in James 4. Keep your place in Genesis 4. Go with me to the book of Proverbs if you would. Proverbs chapter 15 from the center of the Bible. You have the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15. We talked about this last week. If you remember, we looked at the idea that we oftentimes don't get angry. We are angry. And this is what James is referring to. He says, your anger does not come for the source of your anger that is among you does not come from outside of you. It comes from inside of you. We saw last week that anger is not caused by something outside of you. It's caused by something inside of you. Often we don't get angry. We are angry. And we saw this idea last week. Let's just look at them real quickly if you would again. Proverbs 15. Look at verse 18. Proverbs 15 verse 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife. Cain's about to stir up some strife. Why? Because he was wrathful. See, you and I, we think, no, I'm wrathful because of the strife. I'm angry because of the fight. And God said, no, no, no. You're fighting because of the anger. You've got it backwards. You think, no, no, I'm, I'm angry because of something that happened outside. And God says, no, no, no. You're causing something outside because of the anger inside. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A forward man. Remember in James, we saw the words easy to be entreated. The opposite of easy to be entreated is being forward, 
being difficult to deal with. You ever met somebody like this? Doesn't matter what, you know, there's always a problem, there's always an issue, doesn't matter what the solution, you know, you can give them five different solutions, there's going to be something wrong with all of them. They're just a difficult person. A forward man soweth strife. Go to Proverbs 26, look at verse 21. Proverbs 26, verse 21. Proverbs 26, verse 21. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, notice Proverbs 26, verse 21, last part of the verse, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. We're not contentious because strife got kindled. We kindle strife because we are contentious. Proverbs 29, verse 22. Proverbs 29, verse 22. An angry man stirreth up strife. We think, no, strife gets stirred up and then that makes me angry. But God said, no, no, no. You're angry and you stir up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. See, we like to think, no, no, I get angry because they made me angry and, and they caused a fight and they said something that upset me and that's why I got angry. And God says, no, no, here's what you need to understand. They may have said something to upset you. They may have said something that was rude. They may have done something that they shouldn't have done. But that's not why you got angry because a meek person could understand that and respond to it in a proper way. You got angry because of something inside of you. See, James says that the source of our anger comes from inside of us. So look, if you say, my husband and I, we fight like cats and dogs, that's because of something inside of you and inside of him. I'm not saying that our lives are absent of conflict. There may be conflict and things that need to be confronted. But the reason you get angry, out of control, destroy, we're not talking about righteous indignation here. Very few of us ever actually experience righteous indignation. We're talking about the name calling. We're talking about the rude things. We're talking about the cussing. We're talking about the yelling. We're talking about the breaking stuff. That stuff, that's not righteous. There's no righteous indignation in that. That stuff, that's all you. That came from you. So James asked this question. Keep your place in Genesis 4. Go back to James chapter 4 if you would. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? And he says, statement number one, we get angry and fight because the source of our anger among you comes from inside you. Then he says this. James chapter 4. Look at verse 1 again. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Then he says this. Come they not hence? He said, don't they come from? Then he says these words. Even of your lust? Now the word lust, usually when we think of the word lust, we think of like a physical relationship between a man and a woman. But the word lust simply means desire or wants. Obviously in the Bible, lust is often used to a, for a physical relationship. But in the Bible, you find people lusting after money. You find people lusting after food. Lust is just something that you want. And here's what James says. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your lusts, even of your desires, even of your wants. In verse 2, he says, ye lust. He says, you desire. You want something. He says, ye lust and have not. He says, you want something and you're not getting what you want. He says, you kill and desire to have. The word desire there means lust. And cannot obtain. 
See, here's what James is teaching us. He's saying, not only do we get angry because the source of our anger is from among us, is from inside of us. He says this, we get angry when we do not get what we want. I mean, he says, come they not hence. He says, from where come wars? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members ye lust, and have not ye care, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. James says this, he says, we get angry, and we fight, and we strife, and we get mad. We get angry when we do not get what we want. And look, anybody... Anybody who has more than one child knows this is true. Amen. I mean, if you don't believe me, just go observe the kids in the playroom after church. You won't be there that long, and you'll see two kids start fighting. You know why kids fight? Because one of them's not getting what they want. One of them wants that toy. They want that doll. They want that car. They want that. One has it. The other one doesn't have it. One's angry because... They want the car, they want the doll, they want, and they're not getting it. And then they go and take it. And then the other one gets angry. Because now they're not getting what they want. And you say, Pastor, it's not that simple. Really? That's the exact same reason why every war that has ever been fought in this world was fought. That's the exact same reason why every memorial for every soldier that ever died on a battlefield, why did they die? Because one country wanted something that they weren't getting. You say, it can't be that simple. Let me introduce you to the Word of God. From whence come wars and fightings among you? They come from you. Because you want something you're not getting. I mean, let's go back and look at our story. Genesis chapter 4. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, the Lord said unto Cain, he has a question kind of like James. He says, why art thou wroth? Don't you hate it when people ask you that? Why are you angry? I'm not angry. Oh, right. I'm not angry. I just talk like this. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? He says this. If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? You see, God highlights for us why exactly Cain was upset. You know why Cain was upset? Because he did not get what he wanted. He didn't want to bring the sacrifice that God asked. He wanted to bring his own sacrifice, the sacrifice that made him look the best, that made him look good, to show off and brag about, look at all this fruit that I have. And when it was not accepted, he did not get what he wanted. That's why he's mad. That's why anyone ever gets mad. We get angry when we do not get what we want. We get angry when we don't get what we want. I mean, isn't this true? Look, especially when you're wrong. Don't you hate it when you're in the middle of an argument and it all of a sudden dawns on you? Wait, I'm wrong. When you're wrong and when your anger is not justified, but you're still angry, so you're still going to fight. You're still angry, so you're still going to cuss. You're still angry, so you're still going to throw things. You're still angry, so you're still going to threaten. Why? Because you're not getting what you want. Because what you want, what you want is to continue drinking, even though you know you have a problem with drinking, 
And people that love you are trying to tell you, hey, you've got a problem, you need to deal with it. You want to keep drinking, and even though you're wrong, or you want to keep getting high, or you want to keep gambling, or you want to keep spending money that you don't have, or you want to keep, you know, sleeping in and taking days off of school when you're a homeschool mom and your kids aren't getting educated, but you want what you want. I mean, you don't want to abide by a curfew. You don't want to uh, tell anyone where you're going after work. You don't want to be accountable to anybody. You don't think you have a problem with gambling. You don't think you have a problem with anger. Isn't it? Look, the truth of the matter is this. Why do you get angry? Whenever you get angry, some of you are angry right now. You know why? You're not getting what you want. I brought my husband to this anger management series so you would tell him everything that's wrong with him. (laughs) Now you're telling me I'm the problem. Let me let you in on a little secret that James kind of teases out for us. It's this. Every time you're angry, it's because you're not getting what you want. You want her to respect you. You want him to show you affection. You want to be appreciated. You want to be acknowledged. This is true when you are wrong and not justified. But let me go ahead and answer the question for those of you that are smart. Oh, yeah, pastor? Well, what about when I'm right? What about when my anger is justified? I mean, that's true. What, when they owe me, when they promised When I earned it, when they broke their vow, when they lied. And look, I'm not taken away from those things. And if you got up here and we gave you the mic and you told your story, we would all side with you and side against whoever it is you're talking about. But the truth of the matter is this. Even when you're right, even when you're justified, it's still you're not getting what you want. Can can we at least acknowledge that? Yeah, but they promise, right. So what are you angry about? They didn't keep their promise. And what do you want from them? I want them to keep their promise. So you're angry because you're not getting what you want. Yeah. But I earned it. I deserve it. So why are you angry? Because I didn't get it. And what do you want? I want to get it. Why? Because I earned it. So you're angry because you're not getting what you want. I, I guess. But they lied. And you're angry because they lied? Yeah. Because what should they have done? They should have told the truth. And what do you want? I want them to tell the truth. And they didn't do what? They didn't tell the truth. So you're angry because they didn't do what you wanted them to do? But I'm justified. I I didn't say you weren't justified. I'm just trying to let you in on a secret. Whenever you're angry, it's because you're not getting what you want. You may be justified. You may not be justified. You may be right. You may not be right. The point is this. Whenever anger rises up inside of you, just stop. Just stop and ask yourself, what am I not getting that I want? Because that's the reason for the anger. You say, well, when I'm justified, is there anything wrong with that? Well, go back to James chapter 4. Look at verse 2. Ye lost and have not, And he says this, you kill. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You kill. You know that every murder came about as a result of anger? 
And all anger came out of us not getting what we want. Well, it wasn't that I wasn't getting what I want, is that they weren't doing what I want, which is you not getting what you want. Genesis chapter 4. Look at verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Did Abel have anything to do with Cain's anger? Did Abel have anything to do? Where came the anger of Abel? From where did it come? It came from Cain. It came from Cain. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, notice, and slew him. James says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill, and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. And look, you say, well, I'm not physically killing anybody. But are you killing your relationships? Some of you are killing, are killing your parenting. And the influence that God has given you as a parent because of your uncontrolled anger. And I'm not saying it's not justified. They should come in at curfew time. They should obey. They should be accountable. I'm not saying it's not justified. I'm not saying that there are not times when you need to confront someone and deal with a legitimate problem. I'm not saying that at all. I hope you understand that. They lied. They broke their promise. They broke their vows. They broke their commitment. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. I get that. I'm not saying that there's not a time, that there's not a time when we must confront someone and deal with legitimate problems. What I am saying is that even when you are right, even when you are justified, even when you are dealing with a legitimate problem, that does not give you the right to engage in the flesh with out of control and destructive anger that kills relationships. See, we like to think, no, I'm right, so therefore everything I do is justified. You may be right, but what you're doing, the way you're handling it, the things you're saying, the way you're attacking, the people you say you love is not right. And that anger, that anger, that didn't come from God and that didn't come from your justification. That just came from you. You may be justified. I'm with you. You may be correct in your analysis. They broke their promise. They lied. They broke your trust. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. You may be justified, but that does not give you the right to lose control, to become destructive, to kill. James chapter 1, look at verse 20. James chapter 1 and verse 20. We saw this last week. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When you allow yourself to enter into uncontrolled wrath, you're not doing the righteousness of God. Here's the funny thing. You may be right and you're not righteous. See, sometimes you try to explain this to couples. You know why you fight? You're not getting what you want. And, and they can't look past the fact that, yeah, but what I want is, is, is my right. And I'm not arguing with you. It may be your right. But it doesn't make you righteous the way you're acting. You may be just in your belief, but you're not justified in the way you're going about it. 
I mean, you hear people fighting. You hear parents fighting with their children. You hear couples fighting with each other. You hear, you hear church members fighting, and you hear the worst things possible. I mean, I hate you. I will never forgive you. I will keep this anger towards you till the day of my death. And I mean, those are just the things I've said to church members. <laughs> Much less the stuff you guys have said. The point is this. We're never justified in losing control of our anger. Even when you're right. In fact, I would say, especially when you're right. See, here's why we push back on this concept. Some of you are like, this is stupid. I'm not angry. Thinks I'm angry because I'm not getting what I want. You, You want to know why you push back on that concept? Here's the truth. Because I've explained this to so many people in counseling, I don't know how many times, and I get very little positive feedback on this. And, and you know, I'm not picking on you if I've talked to you. I'm, I'm, for 10, 10 years, I've said this to lots of people. It's very rare that people are like, yeah, Pastor, you know what? You're right. I'm just throwing a fit because I'm not getting what I want. It's very rare, people. Usually, we push back on it. You say, well, why, why do people push back on it? I've, I've thought a lot about this because I've dealt with a lot of people. And here's what I've came to the conclusion. I've came to this conclusion. The reason that we've pushed back on this concept, the reason that this is probably not going to be your favorite sermon to listen to once a month or whatever to encourage you, um, the reason that you think like, I don't know, pastor's kind of, you know, I don't left field on this one. The reason we push back on this is because of this. When we must take part of the responsibility for our anger, then we must also take part of the accountability to resolve our anger. Amen. See, when you take responsibility, when, when you have to sit there and say, okay, maybe I was justified in why I got angry, but I wasn't justified in everything I said and everything I did when I got angry. So therefore, I'm not completely innocent in this situation. Maybe it's not 50% my fault and 50% their fault, but there is some sort of account responsibility that I have to take for the things that have passed in this relationship. See, when you have to take responsibility for the problem, then you must take accountability for your response. And that's what we don't want. Because you know what we all want? The reason that we always act like we're right, even when it dawns on us in the middle of the fight that, oh man, I was wrong. Oh man, I did miss that appointment and I didn't write it down and I, uh, now I do remember that that's what I said I was going to do. Even in the midst of a fight, we refuse to uh, you know, admit that we're wrong. You know why? Because we want to give in to our out-of-control destructive anger. We want to give in to our out-of-control destructive behavior and we want to feel justified in doing so. And if I have to admit okay, maybe I shouldn't have acted that way. You were wrong, but maybe I shouldn't have said those things. You were wrong, but maybe I shouldn't have wrote those things about you on social media. You were wrong, but maybe I shouldn't have called your boss, or maybe I shouldn't have called your parents and said all those mean things. See, when we have to take responsibility for the anger, then we don't get to just throw a fit and feel justified in our fit. And isn't that what you want? You want to say to her, you this and you that and blankety blank. You want to say to him, you stink and you're this and blankety blank. You want to throw things and cuss and be angry and fight and kill and destroy and walk away. I did nothing wrong. 
when everything you did was wrong. Everything, the way you responded was inappropriate. The way you responded, I'll put it this way, was not meek. And it was not like Christ. So James says, the source of our anger, the source of our anger from among us comes from inside of us. He says, we get angry when we do not get what we want. And then he says this, and this is the third statement. We've already developed it. I just didn't give it to you. The anger that comes from within flows out towards others. That's why Cain killed Abel. That's why some of you are killing your marriages. That's why some of you are killing your relationships with your family members. Because this anger that comes from inside of you, it flows out to others. You say, well, Pastor, what do we do about it? I'm glad you asked. First of all, realize that when you take responsibility for your anger, it makes you be accountable for your response. And that immediately brings the tension down, brings the temperature down. It allows you to control your anger. But James kind of gives us a little bit of insight into how to deal with this or the proper perspective to deal with it. Next week, we're going to talk about how to deal with your anger. But before you can get there, before you can get there, you have to lose this idea that I'm justified in everything I do because she's an idiot. I'm justified in everything I do because he's a moron. No, you may be right, but that doesn't make you righteous. And when we have to take responsibility for the things we do, for the things we say, for the actions we take, it allows us to bring the temperature down a little bit. But then James, he does this thing where he kind of gives us a little bit of insight, and in some ways, it's, it's a little hidden or cryptic, and, and, I, and, I, and I don't mean that it's not there for us to see, but you really have to be looking for it. It's really interesting, because in James chapter 4 and verse 2, he says this, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight in war. And when you look at James chapter 4 and verse 1, and James chapter 4 and verse 2, up to this point in the verse, it's very relational. In fact, when you go back and look at the context, which we did, we went back and looked at the context of James chapter 3, what led us to this conversation. It's highly relational. It's about meekness and envying and strife in your heart. It's all about our relationships. Then James says this, these phrase, this phrase at the end of verse 2, which in some ways, I don't want to say it's sad, but in some ways it, it's too bad that James chapter 4 and verse 2, because of this part at the end, it kind of shifts gears and takes us into a different context, and it's so famous and so well known that this passage has become about that instead of about relationships, and it's about both. Say, so what are you talking about? Well, notice what he says at, verse, at the end of verse 2. Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Says ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. And when you read those verses, yet ye have not because ye ask not, you would say, Well, I know what that's about, that's about prayer. 
And I would say, yes, you're absolutely right. That's about prayer. And because of that, most people go to James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and deal only with the subject of prayer. And they look past the subject of relationships. And you might be looking at this and saying, well, what does prayer have to do with relationships? He's talking about the fact that I'm not getting what I want from my spouse. I'm not getting what I want from my children. I'm not getting what I want from my job. I'm not getting what I want from my church. That's what causes me to fight and kill and destroy and fight and war. And, and, and then he shifts gears and it seems almost abruptly and starts to talk about prayer. Yet you have not because you ask not. And you say, what is James talking about? Go to Matthew chapter 7 if you would. We're almost done. We're going to look at Matthew 7, Genesis 4, and then we'll finish up in James 4. Matthew 7 and verse 7. When James says, ye have not because ye ask not, who is it that James is referring to? And he's referring to God. James chapter 7, verse, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Ask who? Ask God. And it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, your Heavenly Father, in fact, Jesus, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, when you pray, he said, you should say this, say, our Father which are in heaven. Our heavenly Father. He says, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? You say, well, Pastor, I don't understand. What does prayer have to do with the fact that I can't get my teenager to do what I think they should do? What does prayer have to do with the fact that I can't get my adult children to do what I think they should be doing? What does prayer have to do with the fact that I can't get my spouse to do what I want them to do? The point that James is trying to make is this, that we fight because we want something from someone that they either will not that they may never, or that they possibly are not capable of giving you. See, you, 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 you got married, and he was the knight in shining armor, and he was supposed to make you fulfilled in every area of your life, and he was supposed to appreciate you and care about everything about you, and you were going to find your fulfillment in him. And then after the honeymoon, you found out, he's an idiot. And you're trying so desperately to get your fulfillment out of Him. When the only one that can give you that fulfillment is God. See, you you want your kids, they have to go to a certain school and they have to get a certain education and they have to get a certain degree and they better do a certain job and they're not doing the job that you told them that they should do. They were supposed to be a doctor. Now they're not a doctor. And I'm going to feel like a failure and you're trying to get something out of them that they're not giving you But you should be getting it from God. See, 
James kind of shifts gears abruptly for us, and it kind of like, James, you know, are you bipolar? What are you talking about? All this relational stuff, this deep, you know, psychological stuff, and then all of a sudden you say you have not because he has not, and here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Sometimes, sometimes you're just not going to get what you want. They're either just not going to give it to you because they're just backslidden, because they're sinners, they're going to break their vows, they're going to break their promises, they're not going to do what they said they were going to do, or it may just be they can't give you what you're trying to get out of them. They're just not going to make you happy. They're just not going to make you fulfilled. They're just not going to give you peace. And James says, You're asking the wrong person. Because if you would turn your direction to God, God can give you the peace. God can give you the appreciation. God can give you the love. God can give you the respect. God can give you all those things. You're trying to squeeze out of your neighbor, out of your boss. Out of your wife, out of your husband, out of your children. Here's a fourth statement. We get angry and fight because we're trying to get something other people cannot give or will not give. Imagine what would happen in your relationship, whatever relationship you find yourself in conflict in. If you stopped for a moment and said, you know why I'm so angry right now? If you just thought this in your mind, because I'm not getting what I want, and maybe I'm even justified in what I want, but this guy, this gal, this group, they're just not going to give it to me. And I can't, look, as, as long as you believe that your happiness and your peace will be found in something else and someone else, you'll never be happy. You'll never have peace. But when you say, I want my wife to keep her commitments. I want my husband to keep his vows. I want my children to do right, to do what I've taught them to do. I, I, I want these things. I've earned these things. I've, I've, I expect these things. But at the end of the day, my fulfillment is in God. And even if everyone else fails me, even if everyone else leaves me, even if everyone else forsakes me, I don't have to respond in uncontrolled and destructive anger because I'm not trying to find my peace in them anyway. I'm trying to squeeze something out of them. They can't give me. Only God can. So James says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war. <clears throat> and he says, yet ye have not, because you're asking the wrong person. He says, ye have not, because ye ask not. The truth of the matter is this. The anger you feel, it comes from inside. The reason it comes out is because you're not getting what you want whether you're justified or not. And the reason we don't want to acknowledge that, 
is because when we have to take responsibility for our anger, then we must take accountability for the response of our anger. And we don't want to do that. We just want to throw a fit and get angry and cuss and throw things and yell and say the worst possible things and walk away feeling justified. And it's hard to do that when you realize, when you realize that that response is not meekness and it's not Christ-like. When you take responsibility and accountability for your anger, the temperature goes down and you are now able to begin to control your anger. And in fact, if you can ever get to the place where you say, I don't find my contentment in anybody else. I don't find my contentment. Yeah, they promised me I was going to get the promotion. Yeah, they told me if I took these classes, they would give me the promotion. Yeah, I went ahead and did all those things, and then they gave the promotion to somebody else, to their buddy. And I'm angry. But when I don't find my contentment in that, and I find my contentment in God, I can control the response that comes from me. So James says, James says, anytime your anger gets out of control, It comes from inside. And I want to encourage you to be with us next week because that thought, that idea, leads us into the context, the things that we'll learn next week about, okay, pastor, then how do I deal with my anger? We'll talk about that next week. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, when you dissect these passages of Scripture, it becomes abundantly clear that they were not written by man. this philosophy and this psychology that we find in Scripture is not written by human beings because human beings think if I can make everybody do what I want, I'll be happy. If I can get all my ducks in a row, I'll be happy. If I can make everything just go the way I want it to go, I'll be happy. But the truth is this, that true contentment can only be found in God. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to realize that. Thank you for this passage. And help us, Lord, to just become keenly aware of why we get so angry. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.